My good people, greetings. How are you? Everyone well? Everyone doing superb? I hope that your day and week is off to a tremendous start because I have an action-packed, jam-packed sports podcast for you here on this edition of the J Reels Podcast. This is your host, J Reels. If this is your first time listening in, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who have listened to whether it's one episode, 10, 15, 55, 63, or now 76 episodes, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, June the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2019. So before I begin, I must send a birthday shout out to none other than my mom, who 70 years ago today was born and I know she's in Puerto Rico right now, wishing she was probably either in Greece or Italy, but nevertheless, it is her birthday. So mom, I'm wishing you a happy birthday here from New York City. I love you. I'm thinking of you. Just uh, think that despite the fact that you may not be where you want at this uh, stage of your life, just be thankful that you're alive, that you're breathing. Be grateful. Of course, practice gratitude, mom. And uh, most importantly, count all those blessings that you have as you're able to travel again, in the very near future, and uh, hopefully in those travels, I'll be able to see you soon. So God bless, much love, Mom, and uh, happy birthday to you. So now, as far as sports are concerned, tons to discuss. We'll recap a little bit of the U.S. Open that uh, took place at Pebble Beach, where Gary Woodland had to stave off a raging Brooks Kepka, who was on the verge of winning his third straight U.S. Open, which hasn't been done in quite some time. We'll talk about that. The Yankees trade for a slugger. Why, that was not the move that the Yankees needed to make, if you ask me. I'll delve into that later on. The Met bullpen. I know I've talked about it for weeks on end, but their season, as we've said time and time again, is certainly starting to head out to sea. And with an 11-game road trip to Atlanta, to Wrigley, and also to Philadelphia, their season could be on the brink over the course of the next 11 days. I'll touch on that. The NHL season has concluded in Boston, where the... St. Louis Blues raised their first cup in history. Also with the NHL draft on Friday, why the Devils and Rangers will be linked forever when the draft takes place uh, this Friday in Vancouver. But with the NBA front and center right now, and I could do a whole podcast on just the association itself. If you didn't get my instant reaction to game six, you could do so on my Instagram account, on my IGTV it's just J Reels, J A Y R E E L Z. I also copied and pasted it to my Facebook page, the J Reels podcast, uh, my Facebook fan page, as well as J Reels One, just a number on Twitter. I'm going to touch a little bit on the game, but I'm not going to dissect every move. I pretty much did that then. So if you want to get my full recap on that, just go to any one of those social media platforms as I fully do a deep dive on that. But when we put the NBA season to bed, Congratulations to the Toronto Raptors. I believe their parade is taking place as I am speaking at 11.32 a.m. Eastern Time. Congrats to them. Just a tremendous job. I get that a lot of people today are going to look at it and say, well, Golden State wasn't at full strength considering Kevin Durant going out in Game 5 the way he did with his ruptured Achilles. And then Game 6 with Clay Thompson, as a lot of people call him now, Game 6 Clay. And he was off to a uh, just not a tremendous start, but had 30 points before he left the game where we feared that later on it was a torn ACL. And granted, would they have won the game with Clay in there? We don't know. Chances are they probably would have. They would have hung on. They would have been able to push this to a Game 7. But let's face it, if there was a Game 7 last night in Toronto, they would have been ran out of the gym, Golden State. Steph Curry would have been the only player that would have made any type of offensive output or contribution. And that's not to knock DeMarcus Cousins or Andre Iguodala or any of the other players on the team, Draymond Green. But let's face it, when you have two of your top three offensive players out and Steph Curry was the only guy that was left standing, and let's put it in perspective, the defensive job that the Raptors did on Curry in that game, the box and one, and I understand he had the good look there at the end at 111 110, and he missed it. It just goes to show that the defensive effort of the Raptors, and give them credit. I understand this could be more on Golden State as I, pretty much that was my angle on Friday morning. But give Toronto credit. Don't make it all about Steph Curry and him not pulling through in the clutch and 
I'm sure that's some narrative somewhere. But be that as it may, now that we could put the NBA Finals to rest, Toronto has their first ever championship, and Golden State obviously has to pick up the pieces from what was just a a grueling year and a, just a tough, bitter pill to swallow with the way their season ended, especially in back-to-back games, losing their other top two players on their team. But now that we lead into an offseason where there's going to be a lot of talk about free agency and a lot of talk about where players are going to be heading to, new addresses, etc., the shot that's been fired from L.A., and we're not talking about the Clippers, who they could sign two max contracts this offseason, but what the Lakers did on Saturday by trading Anthony Davis to the Lakers for Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, the number four pick this year, the 2021 first-round pick, which is lottery-protected, I believe, one through eight, the 2023 first-round picks where they could flip-flop, and then the 2024 first-round unprotected. I understand if you're a Laker fan, you may look at this deal and just jump for joy and go crazy and that the Lakers are the odds-on favorite to win an NBA title this year. I believe they're 7-2 to two in Vegas right now. And then the Bucks are, after that, 8-1, to one, I believe. But if you're a Laker fan and you're doing a dance and you're high-fiving your fellow Laker fans, whatever it may be, I'd be first to pause and think about how you're going to construct the rest of this team here in 2019-2020. If you remember last year when the Lakers signed LeBron, the pieces that they brought in there were a bunch of, let's face it, has-beens or wannabes, whatever you want to call it, whether it was Rajon Rondo, whether it was Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, etc. They even brought in Tyson Chandler a few games into the season when he was bought out of his contract in Phoenix, and we saw how that disaster unfolded. Now, without getting into the Lakers and everything that has transpired since then, whether it was Magic quitting on the last day, whether it was them not getting the first coach that they want in Tyron Lue and settling pretty much for Frank Vogel, all that, we could put that in our rearview mirror because right now, as we're looking at it today, are the Lakers a better team? Absolutely. When you have a guy who's arguably a top 10 player in the league and Anthony Davis and LeBron is LeBron, despite him having a subpar year, and the groin injury that he had, of course, they're going to be a much better team today than they were three days ago. But the problem with that is, although you have one year Anthony Davis on the last year of his deal, and knowing that he has a supermax, if he's going to be an all-NBA player, which chances are he probably will, you're looking at a situation where, after this year, who are the Lakers going to sign to fortify that group to make them a championship contender year in and year out from 2020 on. And I understand people are going to say with Jay Reels, why are you going to worry about that now? Just worry about this upcoming season where the Lakers, who knows? They're going to try to see if they can get Kyrie Irving or they're going to try to maybe even add Carmelo Anthony to the mix. Or, you know, you're hearing all these different scenarios. And the one thing I think about is, A, it seems as if Kyrie is already planning on going to Brooklyn which was a bit of a shock because a lot of people thought he was going to be headed to the Knicks. And then Carmelo Anthony, really? Like, why are they even bringing him up? So the one thing that you look at from a Laker perspective or even from a Laker fan's perspective is that you're banking on LeBron to be healthy again. And listen, we know LeBron's a freak. We know that he's a guy that is going to be in great shape. But he is 35 years old. We know the mileage that's going to be. He'll be 35 come December 30th of this year. But we know the mileage that are on those legs. The odometer is super high. And we understand he probably still has a lot left in that tank, but let's face it. He's going to be 35 years old. We understand it's not going to be a precipitous decline, but there's going to be a decline. And even though he may be rejuvenated having Anthony Davis on the team, but where's the supporting cast? Who else is going to be part of this mix? Because you're going to look at a situation where this is, could be, I'm not going to say Miami Heat 2.0 because you need to get that third guy in there. But if you're going to give Anthony Davis over $200 million, you're already giving LeBron $154 million. There's only but so much money that could go around. Kawhi Leonard is not going to the Lakers. At least so you don't think. There aren't any other free agents 
that are going to go there, whether it's a point guard, whether it's a Tobias Harris type of player. They're not going to sign for big money going there. Jimmy Butler, there's no way. You think they're going to sacrifice their dollars a la Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade back in 2010 just to be a part of a championship fabric? Can it happen? Absolutely, but we've seen how this whole thing unfolded. Davis and LeBron obviously are not only friends, but you knew that this was going to come to fruition considering when he signed with Clutch Sports, which is the group that obviously LeBron James is a part of, and Rich Paul, which I'm going to get to him in a little bit with that SI article because I got something to say about that. But here you are at this juncture here where the finals just finished. And this trade is just came off literally not even 48 hours after the finals finished. And you're already thinking about the building blocks of how this team is going to be formed leading up to the free agency July 1st period. And then obviously the draft this coming Thursday. I tell you, the Lakers, I you they had to make this move, but at the same time, are they winners in this move? Now, for the long term, I can't say they are, because look at all the draft picks they're giving up. I mean, think about this. Just in the last three years, they've given up three number two overall picks in D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. They're giving up the number four overall pick this year, which could be argued whether or not New Orleans is going to keep that pick or they're going to trade it, but that's I'll get to New Orleans in a second. They also gave up the 2021 pick, which, again, that's lottery protected one through eight, so that's fine. But then in 2023, they could flip-flop number one picks, and in 2024, they have the Lakers' unprotected number one pick. So long-term, to me, that does not bode well. And who knows what they're going to put around Anthony Davis come 2021, 22, etc. And I get that that's a story to be told down the road. But when you give up all that draft capital and you pretty much hamstring your future just to bring in Anthony Davis to go along with a guy who, let's face it, we know is an all-time great, but this isn't LeBron circa 2010. And then not only that, but who are you going to Put forth, as far as a roster's concerned, I mean, you're going to sign a bunch of guys on a one-year deal again, just like you did last year? <laughs> That's not going to work. You're going to have to sign guys that are going to be part of this fabric as long as LeBron is going to be here for the next three years. Well, two years, because he has an opt-out after that third year, but you would think he's going to be here. Because at that point, he's going to be, what, 38 years old? And what is he going to do at 38? He's certainly not going to want to be traded. And considering that his son is at that point, going to be graduating high school and all the talk about him wanting to play with his son, why would he play elsewhere? Unless he's going to go to Cleveland, but why would he do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So if you're the Lakers, and despite that you may look at this as a home run and you may look at this as a win and, oh, this is great, fantastic. Was it a move they had to do? Yes, but my thing is, is that what is the rest of your supporting cast going to look like? I don't think you're going to bring a top free, another top free agent here just for the sake of one year. You know, Jimmy Butler's not coming here. Was he going to, oh, he's going to sign a one-on-one? You know, any of these other guys that are on the top of the free agent list that you think, oh, they're going to right away come and play with LeBron? And that's not a knock on LeBron, but that's a lot of the narrative that you've heard over the last couple of years that these players don't want to go to L.A., and play with a guy that, despite the fact that you'll have a chance to go to a championship or at least make a run for one, but they know that, A, I'm not going to get paid, and B, I'm not going to have my hands on the ball, so why bother? And if you're New Orleans, you're sitting pretty right now because you bring back all these young assets. We know Zion is going to be drafted number one come Thursday. And then with the number four pick, you could try to draft somebody else, whether it's DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. You figure you want to bring in a big body there, a guy who's won. I think that that would probably be the smart move. I know that may be a little bit of a reach considering, but why not? The guy has a championship pedigree. He's got size. You need size in that front court considering you traded it with Ingram. 
So, I mean, considering you have Ingram in the six, I was thinking Julius Randle, the, the, the other former Laker. Considering that you have Ingram in the mix and Julius Randle is not going to be a free agent, so why not bring him in? So, New Orleans right now, and of course with all the picks that they're going to have in the future, now we don't know what those picks are going to be like, we get it, we understand, but they've certainly set themselves up rather nicely, not just this year, but in the future. And to go along with Drew Holiday and... Obviously, if Lonzo could stay healthy, because I've always liked him as a player, you forget about his shot, but he could defend, and obviously he could pass. Ingram, we understand he has the issue with the blood clot in his shoulder, but I'm sure there's a lot of upside on with that player. To me, this was a big win for New Orleans in that regard. And we understand it has to pan out. We got to see. And trades, we'll never know until two, three years down the road. But right now, I think this was a slam dunk for New Orleans. And we get, in the short term, I'm not even going to call it a win for the Lakers because they had to do something. But let me see what the rest of this team's going to look like, and then we can really dissect it. Because right now, if it's just going to be Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, LeBron James, and a bunch of ragamuffins, is that going to take you to an NBA title? No. Or even to an NBA final? Uh Uh-uh. So that's the deal with that trade. And uh, listen, New Orleans right now, they're in the driver's seat, man. If everybody's healthy, if that young team is healthy and they gel and mesh and Alvin Gentry being the coach, obviously David Griffin, the former GM of the Cavs, they're going to set this organization up nicely. And then you wonder if Anthony Davis is going to be rotting on an L.A. team where the trend for New Orleans is going to be going upward and the Lakers are going to be in purgatory. Because let's face it, we could say, oh, but they're the Lakers. Uh Uh-uh. Lakers haven't been in the postseason in six years. Their front office is in shambles ever since Dr. Buss died. Uh, Do I need to break down every little detail about what's going on? And then Rob Palenka is your GM? And you can't believe Rob Palenka as far as you could throw him? With all his cockamamie stories that he's come out with over the years? Uh Uh-uh. So a lot to be desired there if you're in La La Land. And again, we'll see what they can pull off. But... One last thing, Rich Paul. The only thing I'm going to say about this, we understand he's part of LeBron's team. He's the guy who pretty much orchestrates everything at clutch. And he's a guy that pretty much self-made. And more power to him. And God bless him for it. I get it. But the one thing that he said in that article, and I understand people say, oh, Jay Reels, please, give it a rest, whatever. But no, I can't because in that article, he did say that when it came to Anthony Davis, that the Knicks or the Lakers, they would be one of the two teams because the only thing that the Knicks can't match the Lakers are the championships. Well, isn't that what this sport is based upon, winning championships? I understand the Knicks are an original NBA team. I understand that they have a little bit of cachet, but let's face it, the organization has been a disaster for the last 20 years other than a brief run early in this decade when they had Carmelo at his peak powers in a Nick uniform. And for him to come out and say that, you got to do your homework. The Knicks are not a model franchise. Yes, they are one of the forefather franchises of this league. And of course, when they're right and when they're, I don't want to say on top because they haven't been on top in 46 years, but when they're run well and when they're relevant, yes, that could be a franchise to be reckoned with. But at the same time, they are so far from that that why would he put the Knicks and the Lakers in the same stratosphere as beyond me? I don't know. Maybe he was doing that a favor to the Knicks organization. I don't know. But uh, to me, that max absolutely made zero sense. As far as the rest of the landscape as we lead up to the draft, obviously Zion won. The number two pick, you figure John Morant, for all intents and purposes, is going to go there. And then, of course, you got the Knicks at three. Memphis has the number two pick. Now, excuse me, Memphis, not to overlook you guys. So you figure John Morant will go there. I'm sure they're probably going to do something with Mike Conley, who I believe has one more year left on his deal, although at that $30 million, but it's an expiring contract. So that'll be interesting to see where he may go, whether it be draft night or at some point, over the course of the next few weeks. And then you have the Knicks at number three, where R.J. Barrett looks like the consensus pick on a lot of these mock draft boards. 
and the Knicks should do it. Why not? They shouldn't get cute and trade for it. And, of course, the talk before this Anthony Davis trade was to trade Barrett or the number three pick, Kevin Knox, et cetera, et cetera, down the line for Anthony Davis. Well, obviously, that's not going to happen. If you're the Knicks, you just stand pat. Draft Barrett. You'll have a forward in the mix. He wants to play here. He's talked about how he's looking forward, and he's only worked out for the Knicks. So, please, uh, if they screw that up, then they shouldn't even be in business. But with Scott Perry and Steve Mills at the helm, I would think they would get this one right. So I wouldn't worry about that. But the big talk is whether or not the Knicks should still pursue a one Kevin Durant. And even Brooklyn for that matter. Because if Brooklyn now are the favorites in the camp of Kyrie Irving to be a part of that team, then who knows? Kyrie, I'm sure, will probably say, hey, if we could get Kevin here, I understand we have to wait a year, but... 2020, 21, that's going to be the year. Then I'm sure Kenny Atkinson, Sean Marks and company are certainly relishing the fact of wanting to take away Kevin Durant from the Garden and have him play over the Brooklyn Bridge at the Barclays Center. If I was either one of those teams and I have nothing against Kevin Durant, mad respect for him, love his game, et cetera, but I would not give him a max contract. Not. And I get that he's tall, he's lean. I mean, he's not Porzingis like way, you know, or to that stature where you worry about big men more so with knees. And that's the one thing with Porzingis you have to worry about. And we get Achilles. We understand Kobe. And even to a certain extent, DeMarcus Cousins coming back from an Achilles injury, we get that. But the one thing about Kevin Durant, his game is just built on his shot. And yes, he can beat you off the dribble. We understand that he's freakish in that regard. But at 31, which he'll be 32 by the time he'll be 100% healthy, If you're the Knicks and you're looking to make your way back, just continue to draft. You have those two max slots. You know, even if you don't get anybody this offseason, just because you have the money burning a hole in your pocket, don't let it burn. Just let it sit there. It's okay. And I get that you want to do something to appease the fan base, but that's the last thing you want to do. Don't appease the fan base. It's about doing what's right for the organization. You don't want to get sloppy seconds on a player. You don't want to get spend money just for the sake of spending it. You know, that's like me saying, all right, well, hey, I already have a BMW. Well, guess what? You know what? Today, I feel like buying a Maserati. Yeah, the Maserati's going to look nice. It's going to be great, but why? Why do it if you don't need to? It doesn't make any sense. And the same for the Nets. I understand the Nets made the playoffs, and now they want to make the a leap here in the Eastern Conference. They want to be part of that top four. Now that Toronto, who knows what's going to happen with Kawhi, the Celtics in a situation where Kyrie's going to be gone, what are they going to do? Philly, you know they're going to be formidable. They'll probably be the odds-on favorite to win the East, but at the same time, they could still fall within that top four in the conference. They want to make a splash, but I wouldn't do that with Durant either. And I got news for you. I wouldn't do that for Kyrie. I understand he's going to sell tickets. I understand he's going to bring more credibility and more relevance to your team, more so than the Knicks, but do I need to go down that Kyrie rabbit hole right now? And what happened in Boston the last two years? And funny enough, when the season ended for the Celtics, when they lost to the Bucs in five, I didn't even talk about the Celtics or talk about their future or talk about Kyrie. I didn't want to because I was furious. I was frustrated. I didn't want to discuss it. But I'm going to discuss it more as we get into the NBA offseason, you know, this isn't a story for right now or for me to delve into it right now. But the Nets need to also steer clear of that too because they don't want to fall into that trap of having to bring that player. And we understand Kevin Durant is an all-time great. Even if he weren't to lace his sneakers and go back on the court for another game. But not when you're a team that is on the rise or the Knicks will want to be on the rise to bring in a guy like that, to have to wait a year, to just to have him as a hood ornament now until you're ready to unwrap him, and then even then, you still don't know what you're going to get. That's the danger of this thing. And that's not to say Durant is going to be a shell of his old self or he's not going to be the same player. Obviously, we don't know. We're going to have to wait and see down the road. But as far as the making that instant splash and bringing that guy who you have to wait a year for, I would not do it. I wouldn't. 
That's no offense to him, no offense to him as a player. I just would not stay away. I get you could try to go to Kawhi Leonard's camp and say, hey, what would you think about playing at the Garden? Or, hey, we got Kyrie here. Now we want to get Kawhi in the mix. Now we know Kawhi is a guy to himself. And even if he doesn't stay in Toronto, where he's being celebrated right now, and understandably and rightfully so, and as I said on my little video blurb on Instagram the other day, they should start building the statue while the parade is going down whatever the main street is in Toronto. It should be built. Him making that jump shot over Joel Embiid. That's it. Just keep it in front of there, even if he doesn't go back into the building. But with that said, will they even entertain Kawhi Leonard? The Knicks or Nets remains to be seen. If that's going to be the case, chances are he may want to go back home to L.A. and play with the Clippers. Because I don't. there's no way he's going to go for a one-on-one with the Lakers. I'd be shocked. He's going to want the deal. And why not? So, this NBA offseason, it is, it is going to be bananas. And who knows what's going to happen leading up to the draft as far as trades are concerned come Thursday night. Listen, I could talk, this whole podcast I could dedicate to the NBA, but I got to get to other things. If I've missed anything, please forgive me. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going back on a couple of notes that I uh, jotted down here before the start. Uh, I none, Listen, I get that a lot of the... If you're looking for more Game 6 stuff or me talking about the NBA Finals, just go back to that video that I posted again on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You'll get a better take on that. Oh, you know, there are a couple other things. I do want to talk Clay Thompson. That was just that was just a shame. He was having a heat check game. I would have loved to have seen him gone for like 45 in a win. And despite the fact that you know he tore his ACL, I think he's going to be fine. I think the Warriors are going to re-up him. I mean, why not? And what makes it even more interesting is that a lot of the talk out of the Bay Area is that they're looking to both sign Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant to long-term max deals, which who knows what their salary, with that salary cap, I mean, you're going to have it in three players, and then what are you going to do about everybody else? But remember, they're moving into a new building next year, that Chase Center in downtown San Francisco. I, they've got to sell suites. they got to sell luxury boxes, all that. So you know that those guys are going to be, first and foremost, the priority to resign them. And Golden State's going to be interesting because this coming year, they're going to be so far down on the radar as far as the postseason is concerned that this is a – I get if you're a Laker fan, you want to factor that in too, that the West is going to be down a little bit with that and who knows what Denver's going to do and Portland and – OKC's OKC. I mean, they're going to be, in the regular season, they're going to be up there, but then come the postseason, it's business as usual. But what is Golden State going to look like come this time next year? Or as we head into the postseason? Are they going to be a six seed? Four seed? Eight seed? So you got that to chew on, but again, that's well down the road, but just something to think about right now as far as their dominance, obviously, in the NBA these past five years. And uh, in the likelihood of what they'll be this coming year with their two best players out, if they do happen to resign them, of course. Uh, so you have that. And one last thing, or two things, before I move on to the NHL. I know a lot of people talk about Andre Iguodala. I got nothing against the guy. And he had a phenomenal game six. What did he score? 25 points. Certainly picked up the pieces. He's a guy that you'd want on any team, whether he's your. Number two guy years ago when he was with Philadelphia next to Allen Iverson, whether he's your glue guy now on Golden State. But for people to say that Iguodala's a Hall of Famer, they are out of their minds. I got nothing against the guy. We understand he's been an NBA Finals MVP. We get that he's won three rings. We get that he's just a key, he's a key member of that team, a very good, exceptional defensive player, but he is not a Hall of Famer. Because, when you, again, when you think of Hall of Fame, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Dominance. If I tell you these names, if I say Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, Durant, Curry, uh, you don't even pay another thought. That's it. If I have to give you Iguodala, if I have to give you some of these other guys that are like on the borderline, and to me, he's not even a borderline. That's not against him. And I understand that the Basketball Hall of Fame, it's not the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, it's the James Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, so they're going to bring everybody. Listen, Ralph Sampson is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. 
No offense to him, but his NBA career was nothing compared to his college career, but they combined that, so therefore he's a Hall of Famer. So if they're going to put him in based on him being a good role player and that he's been in the league 16, 17 years and that he won three titles with NBA Finals MVP, then all right, then put Robert Ory in the Hall of Fame then because he has seven rings and he's was part of three different championship teams and made a big shot in Game 5 of a NBA Final when he was with the San Antonio Spurs, then put him in the Hall of Fame. If that's the case. But he was not in my Hall of Fame. And the second thing is, and I got to get on him again, and I know people are going to be like, why does Jay Reels have a hard-on for Drake? The only reason why I'm going to say that is because that guy, Nav, who when I had Dave Mendonca, the author from Toronto, huge Raptor fan, congratulations to him, of course, for... Uh, and I'm sure he's probably at the parade right now. As a matter of fact, I think he was going to be interviewed for the parade. But the Drake comparison to like Spike Lee, Jack Nicholson, just put that to bed, please. They're not even in the same stratosphere. Okay? Number one. Number two is that Nav, who I'm sure you've seen, who's at the behind the basket or the home court or the home side in Toronto. He usually has the turban on uh, from Sikh. I believe he's... uh, you know, from Sikh background, from India. That guy, who's been to every Raptor home game, and I believe almost every Raptor road game. And I get people going to say, well, Jay Reels, that guy's the extreme. He's a guy that travels. Well, that guy, well, that's what the super fan is. That's what, to me, if you're the diehard, you're going to do that. Put it this way. I don't have anything or anywhere near what Drake has as far as financials is concerned, but guess what? Somehow, some way, if I got to pay $5,000 for a front row ticket, or even if I'm not sitting courtside, second row up, third row up, and if I'm behind the Toronto bench, where do I sign up? I'll walk from Toronto to the Bay Area to witness that in history, to witness that in person. What I meant to say is to witness history in person. I'll get it together. Please, where do I sign up? No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. And I get he wants, oh, I'm in Jurassic Park and I want to be here with the people in the six and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's cute. But if you're this diehard fan that you supposedly are, uh uh-uh. You got to be on that floor witnessing that moment in that franchise's history with your own eyes. Not on a widescreen north of the border, whatever it is, 2,500 miles away. Doesn't cut it. Not in my book. And listen, I understand that this podcast is for the casual sports fan. It's for the new sports fan. I get that. And I'm not going to get on the person, you know, I'm not going to get on a 10-year-old who loves the Warriors and is jumping up and down or is crying that the Warriors lost. No, if that's what he, if he's 10 years old, fine. Or the casual sports fan that just watches the championship. I get that. I know I'm a kook. I'm, a, I'm cut from a different cloth. To me, my emotional investment for my teams, they're there forever. And if that person just jumps on and then for whatever the reason is doesn't want to be a part of that, doesn't want to witness that, then I have a problem with that. That's all there is to it. That's like me saying, oh, hey, I have a chance to go to Game 7 World Series, oh, dare I say, in Yankee Stadium, Mets-Yankees. Guess what? I got to be there. It will kill me if they lose in that building of all places. But still, I want to witness that. I want to see it. 1986 was might as well be 4,000 years ago. Or let's say if it was in Anaheim, or let's uh, if the Game 7 was in Houston. If I had the means to go on the road and witness that with my own two eyes, I'm going. And I'm just a guy who does a sports cast independently here in New York. I don't have a bankroll. I don't have assistance. I don't have my own commercial jet or private jet. None of that. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm the crazy one. I'm the kooky one. I, maybe I take it a little bit too more seriously. But guess what? This is why I do this podcast. Because I've invested my life in watching and following sports. So no matter what people may say or do or see, oh, this guy only has X amount of followers on his Instagram or whatever. It doesn't matter. Because in my heart, in my head, I know where I'm at as a sports fan. And what I do, the amount of followers aren't going to define who I am as a podcast host. That's all there is to it. All right, so to get off that horse, I got other things to talk about. So that's your NBA. Let's go on to the NHL where the Blues win a Stanley Cup. And I know to the chagrin of my cousin JD, I got to get him on to talk about that among other things. But 
give it up to the Blues. I said this last week. I, I, I get it's not going out on a limb. But to me, it was going to boil down to the goaltenders, and particularly Jordan Bennington, because Bennington had a rough first three games of the series, and he certainly turned it around and was heroic in that Game 7. He made those big stops early in that first period on Marcus Johansson. Even Sean Curley had a point-blank shot. And that was the difference, because if they score one or two of those goals there, that game is uh, its a totally different game, a different crowd. When the Blues got on the board with Ryan O'Reilly, what was it, about two and a half minutes to go, who scored his fourth, uh, unbelievable, fourth game in a row, he opened the scoring with a goal. And then, the, to me, the backbreaker was that Alex uh, Petrangelo goal. And I get that Brad Marchand was on the ice for an extended period of time, and he left Petrangelo to just go right to the net and backhanded it over Tukarask. But when you ever get those goals with seven seconds to go in a period, those are just killers, man. And what could you say? The Blues, pretty much, I'm not going to say they cruised from there, but they had a 4-0 lead. I know later on, at 2-0, the Bruins had just a golden opportunity where the, what was it? Uh, I think it was like 11 minutes to go in the third period when Nordstrom had that shot. And Bennington was just outstretched as far as he could go, point blank. It would have been 2-1 with 11.06 to go. Crowd would have been into it. I'm sure there would have been a lot of pep in the Bruins' step at that point. Who knows what would have happened. At, I'm not going to say the Bruins would have won the game, but certainly would have turned the tide. But that goal was just a backbreaker. Because from that point on, then the Bruins, the Bruins got their third goal. Then, of course, late got their fourth before the Bruins tacked on that final goal with the extra man. And what could you say? We know about the journey. They had the worst record in the league in January. Berube comes in. Craig Berube, the coach, who I'm happy for. As I've said for weeks on end, I'm not going to go crazy on it, but good for him for winning a cup. And the Blues, who had their parade on Saturday, which I was found that surprising. I know usually they have it during the week, but hey, I guess it was better for them because nobody's at work. They could celebrate all day. I know it rained out there in St. Louis during the parade, but that's not going to stop people from witnessing that for the first time in their franchise's history. So what could you say? And then it was 10 and three on the road to boot, which makes you think, and I'm going to throw this in the mix, which is a very interesting question. I really truly believe that home ice, home court, home field does not, there's no advantage in any of these sports anymore. None. All you got to do is, and I get, I, before you go crazy, I understand there was a controversy in New Orleans with the Rams and Saints in the NFC ch- title game. And also D Ford, if he wasn't offsides, we understand that too, that the Chiefs would have went on to the Super Bowl. But you had the two road teams last year win to go to a Super Bowl. There have been plenty of times that you've seen in baseball, especially recently, where teams have lost game sevens at home. Kansas City to San Francisco is the first one. Cleveland Losing to Chicago to the Cubs. In the NBA and NHL, you see it all the time. All the time. With these Game 7s now. Obviously, Cleveland at Golden State in 2016. There, to me, there's no such thing. Now, would you like to have the game at home? If it's a Game 7 or even in a case where it's a deciding game or an elimination game for Golden State as it was on Thursday night when they played Toronto? Of course. But to me, there's no such thing. Look, Toronto beat Golden State all three games at Oracle. And what about the Bruins? They lost the final three home games of the year, and that was in the Stanley Cup final. So to me, listen, can you totally throw it out the window? No, you can't. But at the same time, if I'm a fan of any of these teams and you have a game seven or a decisive game in your building, I'm sweating bullets, sweaty palms. There is no guarantee. I don't care if you could fill 900,000 people in the building. There's still no advantage. So for all that talk about home ice and home court and home this and home that, ah, that goes out the window, Jack. Because I'm not going to go from a competitive balance standpoint. No, it's just that these games, either an inch or a play or whatever it is, uh, you're just that close from winning and losing a game. So there you go. And then Bennington was also the first rookie goalie with 16 playoff wins. 
as uh, Ryan O'Reilly was your Conn Smythe trophy winner for your MVP of the playoffs. But Bennington, 16 wins. I think Patrick Waugh in 85 was a rookie that year. And he remember, he won 15 games that year because back then, the first series of the postseason was a best of five, not a best of seven as it is today. So you certainly got to keep that in mind. And as far as the series on, on a whole, it wasn't a great series. You know, games one, four, and five were good. Game seven obviously was anticlimactic. You know, you had the blowout in game three. Game six was a blowout with the Bruins winning 5-1. So it wasn't a great series overall. And it was just sad that game seven wasn't that nail-biter, white-knuckler type game. But, hey, it happens. What are you going to do? And I didn't like the fireworks when the cup was lifted. That was hokey. What was that about? When Alex Petrangelo, he's ready to lift up the cup and Bettman's there and all of a sudden the fireworks start going off, the the sparklers, whatever it is. How cheesy is that? So, well, there's your NHL. But with that said, although you're not going to have the same allure or luster as the NBA offseason, the NHL offseason has begun where the draft is this coming Friday in Vancouver. And if you're a Devil fan who has the number one pick overall as you win the lottery and the Rangers have the number two pick. If you're the Devils, you want to make sure you get this right because this draft, although it's going to be downplayed considering that hockey is not... If you're a Ranger fan, it's big. I understand the Ranger fans, there's more of a legion of Ranger fans in the tri-state area here in the Northeast than there is for Islander fans and as well as Devil fans. But if you're a Devil fan, you want to make sure you get this right because you're going to have to live with this draft pick forever with the Rangers picking at number two. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like you're going to have Jack Hughes, who's a kid who was born in Orlando, of all places, but played, uh, moved up to Canada, who's a center, 5'10". Chances are he's going to be the number one overall pick come Friday night. And then the second pick, which looks like it's going to be this Finnish kid, Kapo Kako, who's a right winger, big power forward type 6'2", 210 type winger. Again, if you pick Hughes, you better make sure you get it right because if Capo turns out to be the real deal, then Devil fans are going to be screaming for the rest of their lives about why didn't we pick Capo and vice versa. If the Devils pick Capo and Hughes turns out to be Steve Eiserman, then again, the Devil fans are going to say, why didn't we draft Hughes? So that's going to be an interesting debate from years on end. Kind of their own version of Saquon Barkley and Sam Darnold, if you wish, from the NFL Jet Giant perspective. So certainly just something to keep in mind as the uh, draft approaches there on Friday. And also you have the Islanders making a couple of deals. They signed Jordan Eberle to a, I believe it's a five-year extension, and that's on the heels of what they did last week with Brock Nelson. Remember, they still have to sign Andrews Lee as their captain. Islanders have a very interesting offseason. The, who their goaltender is going to be remains to be seen. Robin Leonard, remember, he only signed for one year, $2 million. Are they going to push all their chips in the middle of the table for him. We understand that he's had some issues in this past, which he seems to have cleared up. But again, that's something to keep in mind. You also have, let's see, as far as like top guys coming out, if I'm the Islanders, I'm certainly not looking to get a guy like Joe Pavelski. You know, he's 34 years old, long in the tooth, played a long time, obviously with San Jose. Islanders got to make a big move here. They need some offense. I don't know where they're going to go. They're going to go for the kid to Columbus that uh, Artemi, I can't remember his last name. You also have Matt Duchesne who's out there. He's 28 years old. Are you looking to maybe replace Andrews Lee with him? I wouldn't do that. You want to keep Lee as part of the fabric of this team. You can't have two captains leave your organization two years in a row. But again, with Lou Lamorello at the helm, you know he's going to do the right thing. So hopefully they could add on to what they already have. For the Islanders, so we'll see uh, how that shakes down as uh, free agency starts July 1st, the same day as the NBA free agent period. So uh, we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. All right, let's kick it to overdrive with some baseball here. The Yankees made a deal on Saturday for Edwin Encarnacion, who was on the Toronto Blue Jays for many years, was a Yankee killer, who they got in a trade from the Seattle Mariners. And the first thing I thought of when I saw this trade, of course, Your inclination as a baseball fan or certainly follows the Yankees is why didn't they trade for a pitcher? Now, we know they're not going to trade Madison Bumgarner right now. They're not going to trade Max Scherzer. We're not going to get those type of guys. And I get that if you're a Yankee fan, you may even want to look 
across the river at Zach Wheeler. Why would you want to do that? Hey, listen, you want to trade him for Chad Green straight up? I would do that right now. Straight up. Because the Mets need bullpen help, and I'll get to them in a minute. But as far as the Yankees are concerned, why are they bringing in another right-handed stick with power to a lineup that already has a ton of right-handed power? Now, we get that Stanton and Judge have been out, and Stanton may be activated today, or if not today, tomorrow, off the DL. Judge is soon to follow. We get that the Yankees signed Kenji Morales in the offseason, but the only reason why they did that because he's a left-handed bat. And even with Didi back in the mix, and of course you have Aaron Hicks and Gardner, where you're not going to really rely on him for home run power, although he can hit some, especially in that ballpark. But still, you're looking, first and foremost, pitcher, or if you're going to bring in a stick, a power stick, it's going to be from the left-handed side. Why another right-handed bat is beyond me. And in the process, you send another good right-handed bat and Clint Frazier down, and chances are he was going to be the odd man out anyway once Stanton got back, and he was destroyed. He didn't understand why he was surprised he got sent down. We understand Frazier is an adventure in the outfield. We get that. And he probably wasn't going to stay on this team considering Stanton and Judge are coming back. But still, why did they trade for Encarnacion? I understand it didn't cost much, whatever, but... Brian Cashman, although he's made a lot of great moves, and you can't argue a lot of the moves that he's made, and it's, all you got to do is look at this past offseason, Gio Rochella and DJ LeMahieu, just to name those two guys. But let's be real here. You're going to bring in Encarnacion, who's mostly a DH. He's not going to play first base because Luke Voigt's got first base, and there's another guy who has right-handed power, I might add. But you're bringing him in, even though you're not. he's costing you $2 million the rest of the year, but that was like the Yankees bringing in Stanton. You didn't need another right-handed power bat in the lineup when you already had a guy like Aaron Judge here. And I get that to pass up on Stanton was too much to to bear, especially you gave away nothing for him. But you're going to go down that road again to bring in Encarnacion? That doesn't make any sense. And I get that people can say, oh, the Yankees need pitching. Well, they're not going to get those top guys right now. So for the Yankee fan that's out there, oh, well, they should have traded for a pitcher. Right. That's another deal for another time. Why Encarnacion? Uh Uh-uh. If Voight was hurt, if Stanton or Judge are going to be out for the rest of the season, I could see this trade. And do you want to say, hey, this is just for emergency cases or we just wanted to get some reinforcements? All right, but then you got to lose another player on a roster spot. And obviously you got to send down Frazier. Maybe they've fallen out of favor here with Frazier over the last couple of weeks. I don't know. And you would think that he's going to be a part of any Yankee deal when it comes to bringing back a big-time pitcher. I mean, that goes without saying. And, of course, there's one other guy that has right-handed power, and I get that he's not coming back this year, so I guess that makes it moot. I was thinking Miguel Andujar, but Encarnacion, I believe, is just signed for the rest of the year, so that's it. But to me, that the, the moves makes no sense. None. And then the Yankees, as far as their week is concerned, look, they split with the Mets last week, which, uh, you know, I'm not going to get so deep into these games or what happened, but... They killed him in the first game, 12-5. Second game, Paxton was awful. I mean, what could you say? Once Alonzo hit the home run, and I wasn't comfortable at 6-0 because of Jason Vargas. But still, the Yankees split with the Mets, which if you're a Yankee fan, it's a loss, and if you're a Mets fan, it's a win pretty much. But then uh, they had a rough start to the weekend in Chicago, but they righted the ship and they came back and they won the back two games. You know, they lost those first two games. The first one, you know, down 5 nothing. And they lose that first game out at uh, U.S. Cellular or whatever it is, the former Comiskey Park. Then they get bombed in the second game. They lose 10-3, and you're thinking, geez, it's going to be a lost weekend. They've already lost 8 of 11. And then they right the ship, and they came back and even the series. So they uh, certainly did what they needed to do to come back home to play a Tampa Bay team, which lost 3 out of 4 to the Rays over the weekend. I'm sorry, to the Rays. They lost 3 out of 4 to the Angels over the weekend. And they also have the Astros coming to town for four starting on Thursday. So very interesting week for the Yankees as they'll face the top part of the AL or the top heavy part of the AL because we all know the AL is just an abomination. You know, once you get past Minnesota, Tampa, Boston, and Houston. I understand Oakland's made a surge and I guess you can't count Cleveland out just yet, maybe out of the division, but maybe as far as the wild card's concerned. But let's face it, those those teams are just... They're not good. So that's your Yankee thing. Let me see if I got any couple of the Yankee notes that I need to discuss there. 
Baseball, Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. No, that's pretty much it. As far as the Mets are concerned, as I said from the top, they're going into an 11-game road trip, which is pretty much going to be their season. Their road, in the years past, they've actually been very good on the road. This year, they've been god-awful. And they've been much better at home. Now, before I get to that, let me just preface it by saying this. So they split with the Yankees. They have a four-game set with the St. Louis Cardinals, where the first game, they were up 4-2 in the ninth inning. You had rain coming down. They're ready to put the tarp on. Mickey Calloway, Pete Alonso. God bless Pete Alonso. He has been the glimmer of hope on this team. But he's out there trying to negotiate with the umpires to play this game to, hey, come on, let's squeeze it in, let's finish it out with his glove and his jersey, like if he's a little leaguer. And then what was that for? Edwin Diaz comes in and gives it right back. Well, all they had to do was just let it rain, sit it out, and they would have had a victory. Did they not know the rules? Mickey Calloway should have pulled this guy right in and said, Pete, get in here. Stay quiet. So now you had a situation where they had the game suspended because it's tied 4-4 thanks to Edwin Diaz. So they come back and play it Friday where they put Diaz in the game and he promptly gives up a run. So then they lose 5-4. They go out meekly into the early part of the night. Then Friday night, the Mets, you know, typical fashion, lose another tough game, which leads into Saturday. And they have a big lead. Alonso hits a three-run homer into the upper deck. You're riding high. Now the... What's it called? The Cardinals start coming back. It's now 8-6. Edwin Diaz comes in. He already gives up a run. And now Colton Wong hits this fly ball down to the right field line. You almost had a collision with Conforto and Jeff McNeil. And then what was that for? McNeil picks up the ball and throws a perfect strike to home plate where to think that if it wasn't for the final out of the game being at home plate, Diaz would have blown another save. And chances are the Mets would have lost that game. And on the heels of yesterday, when they try to shake their bullpen, they bring in a guy named Brooks Pounders, who I've never seen or heard of in my life. And then they bring up Chris Flexen as they send down Hector Santiago. And what does Flexen promptly do? He gives up the home run to Paul DeJong, who's just slaughtered the Mets ever since he's been in the major leagues. He probably wishes he's in the NL East because he just absolutely buries the Mets. And they lose three or four. They lose Noah Syndergaard to a hamstring strain. Now, who knows how long he's going to be out for. They possibly lose Jason Vargas to a hamstring strain yesterday. And unbelievably, Vargas has been arguably our best pitcher. Considering even though sitting in that stadium the other night, 6 nothing, and he gives up the three runs there with the bases loaded. At 6-3, I'm thinking, oh, forget about it. He's going to give it up here, and the Mets going to lose, and I'm just going to walk out of the stadium because I was in that building for the nightcap. But they ended up winning 10-3, and Vargas wins the game. Shocker. But... Now you have all these question marks surrounding their starting pitching. They have no pitching depth to begin with. And the bullpen is just an out-and-out disaster, as we've highlighted week in, week out with this team. And now, as we come full circle, they're going on a trip where, yeah, they're starting Zach Wheeler tonight, which if I'm the Mets, I would trade tomorrow. Because his 10-1 second half of last season, and I said this on the podcast at the end of last year, I thought that Zach Wheeler may have turned the corner. And... Everybody knows. Diehard Met fan, yes. But objective and reasonable and somewhat cynic Met fan, that I am also. And even with the 10-1 and close to a season and a 1-5 ERA, etc., I thought to myself, maybe from a mental standpoint, he has finally gotten past all the injuries, the Tommy John surgery, and that he's put it together. And going into a walk year, he's going to have, I'm not going to say a dominant year, not the 10-1, and no, but he's going to have, I would say, an above average year. And I was being fair. I thought that maybe he could be 13 and 6 with a low three, high two ERA. If somebody would have told me that, I said, you know what? I could see him doing that because he's finally over that psychological hurdle and even the mental hurdle for that matter. Because the guy was pitching lights out. Why would I think that would change this year? Well, He's wildly inconsistent, so trade him for whoever. And I said Chad Green early in the podcast. I'd sign up for it right now. Yeah, wheel it tonight, and again, you're going to have DeGrom uh, pitch Wednesday because he pitched Friday. And, of course, DeGrom was great, but the bullpen couldn't do anything, so we know how that turned out. So they're going to go to Atlanta for three, the Cubs for four, and Philly for four before they come home 
the following week to play who? The Atlanta Braves. And then who do they play after that? Oh, the Yankees for two games. And wait, who do they have? Does the schedule get any lighter after that? No, they play the Phillies for three before they go into the All-Star break. So here's your season right now, Met fans, as you're staring into a cauldron of upper echelon teams, not only in the NL East, but also the AL East. I understand it's for two and it's your own building, but still. With a bullpen that is literally with scotch tape, bubblegum, glue, you name it. That an offense has Robinson Cano back, okay, great. But it's all Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil. J.D. Davis has made contributions, give it up to him. So their offense should be fine, but they go through their droughts. But where is this, I mean, where are you going to get any bullpen help? And I'm going to get to Brody Van Wagen later on when it comes to that, and for good reason. So, stay tuned, Met fans. Uh, what else do I have here? Baseball. Yeah, that pretty much does. I mean, I know you had a wild. What about that Colorado, man? Colorado-San Diego series, 92 runs scored between. I mean, they were all football scores. What was it? 9-6, 16-12, 14-8, 14-13. <laughs> those are the scores of those games in Colorado. And we know that that's a home run hitting haven. But we haven't seen scores of that like in quite some time. And Colorado-San Diego went at it. Those are softball scores, let alone football scores. You would think you're watching the old Chargers versus the Denver Broncos. But you got that. And as far as the, yeah, there's the rest of baseball. You know, you had Dodgers and Cubs where the Cubs lost three out of four out in L.A. So L.A., I mean, they just keep piling it on. I mean, what could you say? The Dodgers, you figure one of these years they got to get it right. They've been to the World Series back-to-back years, and they weren't able to come out with the championship. So if they don't do it this year, then I don't know when they're going to do it. So you got that. As a matter of fact, I'm pulling up ESPN. Eric Carlson talk about NHL. They're trying to get into the NBA mix here with uh, their deals. Eric Carlson, the former Ottawa Ottawa Senator defenseman, now San Jose Sharks. He just signed an eight-year deal. And also, there seems to be some issues in Houston between tension between Chris Paul and James Harden, which I haven't read. I looked at it a little bit, but not for me to report because I didn't get the whole genesis and the whole synopsis of that, but uh, there also seems to be some rumblings down there. But as far as the baseball is uh, concerned, the Dodgers, like I said, flying high. What else is new with them? We've talked about the Braves and Mets going down there for three games. The Braves took two out of three against the Phillies over the weekend, so they're in first place by two and a half games. Mets are seven in the loss, but seven and a half back. So now the Phillies are two back. The Central is going to be competitive in the NL. We've talked about the West already with uh, San Diego. Now they've actually hit the skids here, even though they won that game and they split that four-game series, but they certainly have uh, underachieved here over the last couple of weeks. Then the Rays are a half game back, so this is going to be a critical three-game stretch for them as they play the Yankees over the next three days. Red Sox, seven back, but five and a half in the division. We talked about Minnesota. And again, now that even with all the offseason free agency stuff and everything that's going to go on there with the NBA and also NHL, we'll talk more on baseball and get into a lot more with that, with uh, what's happening on the diamond here in the weeks and couple of months to come. And lastly, let me just touch on the U.S. Open here where you had Brooks Kepka going for a third straight U.S. Open victory. Gary Woodland, who had a fine weekend and certainly had a just a fine day yesterday and went mano y mano with Brooks, Brooks Kepko, who right now, think about what he's done this year. He was runner-up to Tiger in the Masters. He won the PGA, pretty much going away until Dustin Johnson was nipping at his heels, uh, but then, of course, survived that. And then is a runner-up here in the U.S. Open to Gary Woodland. And Woodland, who had the shot of a lifetime, what was it, on 14, on a par 5, 262 yards with a 3-wood, and then was able to putt, uh, yeah, I believe had a 30-foot putt, also that uh, was just phenomenal for him, his first ever major victory, and Brooks Kepka gave it up to him, he said, hey, that man competed, we know Kepka has a lot of, uh, I'll say it from a nice perspective, a lot of confidence with his game, and rightfully so, the guy's just been on fire this golf year, 
And chances are he should be the number one golfer in the world considering what he's done this calendar year. But Woodland was able to hold him off and certainly not only just mano a mano, went eyeball to eyeball, shot for shot, and was able to pull out the U.S. Open out in Pebble Beach. So congratulations to him. And now you have one more major. Remember, since the PGA was moved up now to May, which is usually in August, now you just have the British Open, or it's called the Open, which will be next month sometime. We'll see how Kepka fares then, and we'll certainly uh, see how that final major unfolds as uh, golf could already. Just to think, three majors already in the books, and we haven't even hit the halfway point of the year. But, of course, that's how it is. That's how it goes here as the sports world continues to zoom through all these sports. And lastly, people, my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, I'm going to give it to Pat Bolin. And I hate to say this in a – just on a sad note, he passes away the other day at the age of 75. Bolin, of course, the former Denver Bronco owner, part of all those Super Bowl victories. I uh, don't know what he died of. I think uh, – I want to say dementia. I don't, let me not say that. I, don't quote me on that. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick before we uh, move on to the zero of the week. And the zero of the week, if you've listened, you should know where I'm going with that. Uh, Pat Boland, 75 years old. Again, owner of the Broncos. Everything that uh, he had done, all the Super Bowls. I believe they only had – what was it? Seven losing seasons in his tenure as owner. I believe – what was it? They had as many as – many Losing seasons as Super Bowl appearances in his tenure as the Bronco owner. So that's my hero of the week to the former owner of the Broncos. May he rest in peace. And of course, thoughts and prayers, condolences go out to the Bowling family. And my zero of the week is the guy who acts like a politician, says all the right things, even just the other day in a press conference when asked, oh yeah, we're still here to compete. I feel that we're not far. I feel that we're this close, so on and so forth. All the proclamations before the season began, come get us, we're the favorites, blah, blah, blah. Brody Van Wagenen, I'm sorry, my guy. You're the zero this week because when you look at this bullpen, whether it was Justin Wilson that you signed who hasn't been heard of since early April, he's the Anthony Swarzak signing of Sandy Alderson last year. Jeru's Familia, who signed a three-year, $30 million deal and he can't get me out. And when you look at what came to town with the Cardinals and Andrew Miller, they signed them two years for $24 million, and we have another year tacked on for three years with a Jairus Familia. So we got two and a half more years of Familia in the mix, who, for whatever the reason, has not been the same pitcher ever since 2016 when Connor Gillespie took him over the wall in the wildcard game and then had to deal with the domestic violence issue and the suspension that he had. He just has not been the same pitcher. So whether it's that, whether it's not bringing in any other reinforcements for that matter. I know Hector Santiago's on his watch, but yeah, right now he's back in Syracuse. And this bullpen is a dumpster fire and there are no reinforcements coming along the way. So Brody, for all of the bravado, for all of the declarations and all the the goodwill that you want to give to the fan base. And listen, I understand you're not going to kill the team. I'm knowing you're not going to say, oh, well, it's been a tough going. Oh, I don't know if we're going to compete. I understand you're not going to say that. But don't come out the other day and say, oh, yeah, we're this close. Oh, yeah, I don't think we're that far. Oh, yeah, these 11 games, they're going to be tough, but they're not going to define us. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Just come out and admit to say, hey, we've underachieved to this point. We're three games under 500. Yes, the bullpen, I know that's on me. Put it all on my shoulders, but I'm going to do whatever it takes between now and July 31st to kind of get it right, to get it fixed, whatever it may be, so on and so forth. If you would have came out and said that, you would have been like, all right, Brody, thank you. Don't paint the picture rosy when you know there's nothing but dark clouds and thunderstorms along the way, and especially with this 11-game road trip. Jeez, the relevance of these games in July, August, and September are certainly going to be out the window if this team does not get it together straight. And they got to – I'm going to predict right now, real quick, this is going to be a 3-8 and eight road trip. They'll win one game in each of these series, and they're going to lose 2-3, 3-4 three, three in Chicago, and 3-4 in Philly. Maybe they'll split 2-2 two two in Philly. So f- I think 4-7, and seven, maybe 5-6 five, five and six for sure. They're not going to go over 500. 5-6, I think they'll be 4-7, and seven, but chances are they'll be 3-8. and eight. And we'll come back to two Mondays from today to reassess all that. And we'll talk about it then. 
My people, I appreciate you taking the time out to download and listen to this content. You don't know how much it means to me that you support the program. And by doing so, obviously you go to wherever you sign on to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary. That's another podcast platform you can go to. And in doing so, not only do I employ you to subscribe, but also leave a review, post a rating, do whatever it can, whatever you can to add your two cents in because all that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the plethora, the thousands of sports podcasts out there. And all I'm trying to do is just continue to increase that with your help as much as I could do on my end since I'm doing this solo, people. Uh, not only producing, editing, writing, and of course hosting this podcast, which I do for you guys. So uh, please, even take a screenshot of it on Instagram, put it in your story, send it to me, I'll tag it, or even on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it may be, please do so. Uh, and then if you want to send me uh, an email or a question, comment for any criticism, praise, suggestions, whatever it may be, you could do so at the podcast at gmail.com. You could also do so on any of my social media accounts, whether it's jreels on Instagram, uh, jreels1 on Twitter, just the number, and the jreels podcast on my Facebook fan page. You could do all that there. Again, people, I appreciate all the love and support as I deliver content each and every week. Want to do more than once a week as well as have guests on the program. But that's going to be in the days and weeks to come. So certainly keep in tune with all of my social media accounts for any information. And, of course, the website, jreels.com, as I'm looking to add a few more tweaks. I know I've been saying that for quite some time. But, again, when you're a one-man operation and trying to get guests and trying to upload content to the Website, all those things, it could be very challenging people. So uh, please, I appreciate your patience and understanding in that. And of course, as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the gridiron, on the ice, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J. Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J. Rose Podcast... On the flip, baby.